Thank you so much for being with us so far this morning through our service as we've joined together to praise our God through singing, as we've come before him in prayer, as we've been encouraged by his spirit, as we've united together. Uh, And today as we turn to his word, we're going to continue in our short series called Unrestricted Faith. And essentially what we've been trying to do is, is to recognize and to celebrate the reality that our faith in Jesus Christ cannot and is not limited in the circumstances we find ourselves in. Uh, Yes, life is different, uh, but our God is not. Uh, He is consistently steadfast and sure. Uh, And so throughout this series, we've we've considered, we began by thinking about the unrestricted commission, uh, the call that we have as followers of Jesus to, to go, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These, these wonderful commission of Jesus to his followers, uh, given authority, all authority in heaven and on earth will be given to him. And so he tells us to go and make disciples. Uh, even in social and physical restrictions, go and make disciples. And then we consider the, the unrestricted Bible, the source of, of the good news that we go with, uh, the source of our teaching from God. It, it is the very fuel of our faith and our life in him. Uh, and Jamie Dill helped us to consider uh, these great words from 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17, uh, where we see that scripture, God's word, is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The, the power of God through his word is unrestricted. Uh, two weeks ago, we considered the unrestricted gospel The good news of Jesus Christ, that God loves us, he sent Jesus to us, he sacrificed for us and he gives life to us. And we unpack that wonderful truth from 1 John 4, 9 to 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What what good news this is and that news is unrestricted in these days. And so today we're going to think about the church, the unrestricted church. Uh, and you're, you're far too familiar, you're all familiar, uh, that this uh, online method is our current model of church at the minute. This is how we're able to, to gather, as it were, in these days. And so we sit in our homes at 11 o'clock, we log on to Facebook or however we're accessing the service, uh, and we're watching on screens and devices. I mean, who would have thought that we would be doing church in this way? Uh, but of course, over the last year, we've got more and more familiar with this Uh, If my counting is right, today is actually our 37th online only service since last year. It's incredible to think that that last March, uh, the 15th of March, almost exactly a year ago, was the last time that we physically gathered in the church building without any restriction. Um, It just so happens, or maybe it's not coincidence at all, uh, that our teaching on that day was about the church as well. It was about what is the church, why do we do it, and how do we do it here at Gilnerick Baptist. Um, There was a lot said that day that I won't have time to say today, so please do go back and listen to that again if that's going to be helpful for you. Uh, But in this time, we're thinking about the unrestricted church. Uh, This has been a a unique year uh, in in the life of our church, the life of all churches, goodness, the life of us all. And and today we want to consider how we can think about this unrestricted church. Because it seems like so much of the activity of church life has been restricted, doesn't it? In terms of our ability to meet together, to, to gather together physically, uh, to open each other's homes even for Bible study and prayer times together. So much seems to have been affected by the COVID restrictions we've been under. 
And I wonder in that time, in this year, I wonder if you've asked yourself some of the questions that uh, have gone through my mind or I've heard other people mention. Questions like, well, well, what is the church? Questions like, well, why does the church gather physically? If, if it's so important for us to gather physically, if we can't gather, can we even be the church? Or conversely, if we can be the church online, then why do we need to gather physically together at all? Questions like, how, how can we have genuine fellowship in these days of physical distance? Can Facebook Live and Zoom provide all we need to be the church together? These are, these are important questions for us, as you can see. And not just for these days of meeting online, but even as restrictions ease and as God willing this pandemic passes and we are able to gather together, are there changes that we need to make in how we engage with one another together as a local church? And so we're going to think about the unrestricted church today. And before we turn to scripture, there's a couple of things I just want to say from the outset. Firstly, I am unashamedly for the physical gathering of God's people. I'm longing for the days where we once again gather together to praise him, to hear from his word, to look one another in the eye, uh, to share communion all in the same physical space together. I believe that's the biblical pattern of church and we'll come on to see that soon. But the second thing I need to say is that does not mean that this message is then intended to be a sermon against internet ministry. I mean, how hypocritical would that be, if nothing else, to use um, this online sermon to critique and criticise online ministries? That's not what I'm saying. The internet provides wonderful opportunities for teaching and for networking and connecting. Uh, and we've experienced so much of that over this year. And many of us were able to access incredible biblical teaching from all around the world in just a couple of clicks. This is a great gift to us. And of course, we are so thankful for our dear brothers and sisters who have been able to gather us through this platform, gather with us, sorry, in this platform, who may never have been able to or struggle to gather with us physically. And so what a joy it is to gather in this way. And in saying those two caveats, what I do want to come on to see is that the biblical model that we see is for local expressions of God's global church. We believe it's the normal pattern for God's people to be united with a local group of believers for the reasons that we'll come on to explore in a few minutes. And so when it, when er, wherever and whenever it is possible, when this pandemic ends, uh, if, you, if you have uh, Bible-believing, gospel-believing churches close to where you live, my loving encouragement is to join the host churches. Uh, commit to it. Commit to that fellowship, that local fellowship. If that's us here in Gilnahirk Baptist, then wonderful. We'd be delighted to welcome you back into our building or to welcome you for the first time. Uh, but if there are gospel-believing, Bible-preaching churches where you are, then join them in God's mission in that area. And so, yes, online teaching is a blessing. The technology has enabled us to meet in, in this way, and it has been a great gift from God. Uh, but let's not lose sight of the biblical pattern of local believers gathering physically uh, for teaching, for fellowship, in a specific place for a specific time, in order to be church together. Uh, let, let's turn our attention squarely onto God's word then. And, and what does God want to teach us this morning about his church, about how we're to then know that truth and live that truth out in these days? Essentially, I want to ask three questions. What is the church? Maybe that's thinking slightly big picture. What is the church? What does the Bible say? about the nature of the church. Secondly, why do Christians gather? Um, and therefore, in some ways, why are we looking so much forward to getting back into the, into the same physical space together? 
And thirdly then, um, what does it mean to be the church? Uh, having looked at what the church is, why it's important to gather, then what, what, is it, what does it mean to be the church? And thinking particularly about in these days when we can't physically gather, how can we still be the, the church, the unrestricted church? So firstly then, let's recognise what the church is. How does the Bible talk about the church? Well, as we saw last year when we looked at this topic, the, the original Greek New Testament uses the term ecclesia, uh, to describe and define an, an assembly or a gathering of Christians. It's a similar term or the same term that's used uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament uh, at times when God's people, the Israelites, are called to assemble. Um, ecclesia, though, in and of itself is not a Christian term. It's not uh, unique for the Christian church. Ecclesia is talked about, is used to talk about any gathering of people. Indeed, we see examples of that in the New Testament where it's talked about an ecclesia of people that's not talking about the church. But the intention is clear, though, the Christian church, the Christian ecclesia, if you like, is a gathered group of believers. And there's a universal and a local element to that term. All Christians everywhere are, are, are referred to as the church. It's often capitalised, the capital C church. Yet there are local expressions, small c expressions of that church. And that's why we can see in the New Testament, Paul and others writing letters uh, to the church of God in Corinth, as an example, uh, it's a specific church in a specific place or the churches in Galatia, which is how the, the letter to the Galatians opens. So multiple local expressions of the global church. Um, we see that the church is talked about as uh, in these local ways. And we also see it talked about as one entity, the universal church. And so in First Peter 5, we see both of these things coming together, the universal and the local. So in verse 4, we see Christ described as the chief shepherd over his flock, the, the church, the universal church. But yet that letter, Peter wrote, writes that letter to a group of churches and it implores the local elders in verse 2 of chapter 5 to be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. And so there's the universal and the local element of the church of Jesus Christ. And that phrase is significant, the church of Jesus Christ. Because in thinking about what the church is, we need to recognise that it is Jesus himself who founded the church. In verses that are really significant for this topic, we see uh, in Matthew 16, verse 18, um, we see Jesus talking to Peter saying, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build my church. Jesus Christ will build his church. Uh, the church is not an afterthought dreamed up by the apostles after Jesus ascended back to heaven. No, the church was and the church is God's plan. But, but the church is not a, an abstract thing. It's not an institution that has been established. And the church is made up of people. It's a, it's a living organism. It's not a lifeless entity. And we see this through the rest of this passage in, in Matthew 16. I'd like to expand our view and take in a few more of the verses as we see why Peter asks or why Peter responds to Jesus in the way that he does. And then on what it is exactly that Jesus says is the foundation of his church. And so Matthew 16, and we're going to begin reading in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock 
I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter's declaration, you see, of faith that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's that declaration which, which Jesus then says, that's right, Peter. Peter, that, that name in Greek, which means rock. That's right, Peter, on the rock of your declaration of knowing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Then on that foundation, I will build my church. See, it's on the foundation of declaring Jesus as Messiah, as Saviour. That he then builds his church. Well what does that mean? Well it means the church is built on the saving work of Jesus. And so it is full. The church. Christ's church is full of those who declare. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The son of the living God. The church is made up of of those who know who Jesus is. Who trust in what he's done. And trust in all that he has claimed. And now of course. Church, when churches gather, there are places of welcome for anyone and everyone. And so you should be able to feel welcome when you gather with us, whatever you believe or not. What I'm meaning here is to be part of Christ's church, to be part of his body, to be belong to him. It means putting your faith and trust in him. And so the church is, is both universal and it is local. The church is made up of people who declare that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And as we've already discussed, these people gather they assemble, they, they ecclesia together. But, but why? Why do churches gather? If the church is built up of people who claim Jesus is the Messiah, and if they gather together, why? Why is that so important? <clears throat> well, there's plenty for us to look into here. I'll only mention a few things, but it's clear as we work through Scripture that God is a relational God. He's a God who calls people to relationship with him and then with each other. God is as an intimate God. He's a God who presences himself with his people and then calls his people to present themselves with each other too. And so we see that throughout the Old Testament as God leads his chosen people. And it's also visible through some of the New Testament images that were given of the church, whether it's as a family, as we see in Romans 8, as a body in 1 Corinthians 12, as a flock, as we've seen in 1 Peter 5, or as a temple in 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, and there's other images that are used, but these underlying are these images give an underlying theme that the followers of Jesus unite together and they gather together in his name. So families are related, bodies are connected, flocks are shepherded together. A temple is a collection of individual stones built up into a single unit together. And so these images help us to appreciate the, the significance of being connected to one another. And that connection is displayed through physical proximity. And there are many examples through the New Testament where not only do we see this in picture form, but we see it played out in practice. Where we see the pattern of physically gathering. Uh, It's either commanded clearly or at least just considered normative. So in Acts 2, for example, the early believers, after the day of Pentecost, the early believers devote themselves to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, praising God, witnessing. And they do all of that together. Look at verse 46 of Acts 2. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Or Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who has promised, he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 1 Corinthians 11 and 14, we see Paul use the phrase, when you come together. 
And so in chapter 11, he adds, when you come together as a church, in verse 18. And then in chapter 14, there's a whole section on order, on the order that there should be whenever churches gather together in worship. And so these examples show, and this isn't an exhaustive list by any means, but they, they show the pattern of God's people gathering together, physically sharing space together. And so why do we gather? Well, we'll be gathered because it's the biblical pattern that's been laid down for us. But, but what does this mean for our situation today? We, we can't physically gather. So does that mean we shouldn't meet at all, even in this online way? In essence, can a church be a church without physically gathering? Well, for these first century Christians that we've been reading about, physically gathering was all they had. Uh, live streaming, Zoom calls weren't possible then for them. And so we are, are making the most of the opportunity in the context we find ourselves in. Uh, and we're using ways and means to continue to joy, enjoy a, a sense of togetherness. But, but we know, don't we, that, that as much as we enjoy these times together, it, it's not a full experience of gathering. It, it's the best we can wisely and safely do, absolutely. But we know that this is only for a season. And we long to be physically gathering together soon. Um, so yes, I think we should be meeting in this way. And although it may not be all that we would hope or long for it to be, we know that God is not restricted by this technology. He's not restricted by physical space or internet connections. He's, his word continues to go forth. His word is true and good. And so whether it's going out online or in person, it is good and it will accomplish something. His spirit is still at work in each of us as we gather, even digitally. And we know a, a sense of togetherness by his good grace and his mercy, even when we're physically distant. And so the church is a gathering of God's people for his glory. And they gather because that's what his word shows us we're to do. Well, if that's the case, then what are we to do? Either when we gather or when we're not. What does it mean to be the church? What, what's our function? What's our purpose? What does it mean to be the church? Well, as we go through a couple of purposes here, I hope that what's clear is that these purposes continue unrestrictedly even in lockdown and, and way beyond. And, and it's these purposes that I hope we can commit ourselves to, to following for today, tomorrow, for uh, way beyond lockdown living, because this is actually what it means to be the church, whatever else is going on. And so I want to share just two reasons for what it means to be the church. Firstly, we are the church for one another. We are the church for discipleship, if you want to put it that way. So we mentioned earlier that the church is made up of those who have declared Jesus as the Messiah, the church is made up of those who are Christians. And so the New Testament is clear on how we as followers of Jesus are to relate to one another in his church, his family, his body, his flock, his temple. And there's a very clear sense that, that the church is to seek to glorify God through equipping its members to grow and to mature in their faith. It's about discipleship. Uh, and discipleship is a theme we're going to pick up next week when Rick Hill joins us uh, to teach God's word, which we're excited about. And so firstly, we, we gather the church is for one another it's for discipleship but secondly the church is for others it's for witness you see discipleship is not the only purpose or function of the church the church is not only interested in those who are already members as we've already witnessed in this series each follower of jesus all of us has been given the commission to go and make disciples to, to witness to the resurrected jesus who offers salvation from sin and life eternal and that is all of our role and our purpose and therefore, as we gather, there's a corporate element to that too, of sharing and showing Jesus to the world around us. As a collective body, we can share the good news and witness to our communities in, in wonderful ways that we can't as individuals. 
and, and so our care for the needy, uh, our, our longing for the lost around us, it's a both and responsibility. It's both for us as individual members of Christ's church and how we live our lives and it is for us as a corporate witness together. But, but rather than thinking that, that these two options, that these two elements of discipleship and witness, they're not two separate activities of the church. Now, the New Testament shows at times how they are linked and how they overlap with one another. Think of um, John 13. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and he implores them in verse 34 and 35, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You see the wonderful link there, how, how we love one another. And the most loving thing that we can do for one another is to sacrificially encourage ourselves and each other in our following of Jesus. It's in our discipleship. And as, as we do that, as we sacrificially love one another, we're displaying the distinctive love of Jesus for one another, with one another. And therefore, those around are drawn to that source of love. Jesus himself, God himself. And I think this is true of a lot of the one another statements in the New Testament. That it might seem on face value that they're talking about our inward relationships, but those inward relationships have an outward dimension. These one another statements in the New Testament, they they encourage a, a deep devotion to one another and a deep care of one another because we're displaying the distinctive love of Jesus. And as we've mentioned before, as we've looked at this topic, there are many of these one another statements. And collectively, they speak to us of the importance of one another within the church family. It's one of the gracious gifts of God that he saves us by his grace and then invites us into his family. And as his family, we share this distinctive love of Jesus for one another and with each other. And that reflects God's love to his world. And so we see that the part of the reason for why we are the church, part of our purpose for being the church, is to demonstrate this level of love and care for one another. And I recognise that that many of these one another statements uh, seem to be much easier to live out when we physically are with one another. I get that. But they're certainly not restricted to only that. And so let's think about a number of these verses. And as we do, uh, I pray that God will encourage each of us to, to put these verses into practice that maybe he'll bring a particular individual or family to mind. And as we read through some of these one another statements, can I encourage you to act on those thoughts? Send a message, write a letter, pop something around to the doorstep, lift the phone, arrange a video call, pray with them, pray for them, send a portion of scripture to lift their heart. Let's act on what we hear. Because these aren't just pithy, sentimental statements. They're calls to action. In fact, in many cases, they are commands to action. And so here's just a selection of some of the ways the Bible tells us to be with one another. Romans 12, 8. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there may be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
Colossians 3.16 Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. Hebrews 3.13 But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. James 5.9 Don't grumble against one another brothers and sisters or you will be judged 1st Peter 22 now 122 now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other love one another deeply from the heart again in 1st Peter 4 9 offer hospitality to one another without grumbling and then four examples from 1st John just in chapter 3 and 4 1st John 3 11, for this is the message you heard from the beginning we should love one another 323 this is, this is his command to believe in the, the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. 4.7 Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And 4.11 Dear friends, since God so loved us we ought to love one another. Can these attitudes and actions still be true in lockdown and beyond? Absolutely. So let's embody them with and for one another. Let our love for one another be, be a sign to the world of the God who so loved that he sent Jesus. So as we finish this morning, let's reflect on what God may have been sharing with us this morning. What is the church? Why does the church gather? What does it mean to be the church? Well, we've explored the gift that he has given us of his church that he, has, he is building his church. The church exists for his glory. As those who believe in him gather to praise his name, to be taught from his word, to encourage one another, serve one another and serve the wider world together. And, and yes, many aspects of church life have been affected by the restrictions that we're under, but what it means to truly be the church hasn't been affected. And we're still called to love one another. We're still called to witness for Jesus together. We are his church when we meet in this way, as we gather together physically, as we continue to be members of his church, as we scatter to the places he called us to. And so throughout this period of restricted living, let's allow the spirit to enable us to live as the unrestricted church, sharing and showing the love of Jesus to one another and to the world around us. May he equip us by his spirit to do that. And let's pray to him for it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the joy of gathering in this digital way, virtually, but as your church here in Gilnark. God, we thank you for the gift of this online tool. Thank you, Father, for the way in which it has, it has enabled us to, uh, to enjoy teaching together, enjoy a level of fellowship, uh, enjoy community, enjoy all of those things we praise you for, Father. And yet we recognize the limitations of it and how as good as it is for us to have gathered in this way, God, we long to be physically gathered. We long, Father, to enjoy one another's company, uh, to gaze at each other's eyes, and to encourage one another and build one another up face to face. And so, God, I pray that you would help us in these days of restricted living uh, to not think and not fall into the trap of thinking that the church is closed, that church is off, that the doors are shut so there's nothing going on. No, that's not true. Father, thank you that, that, that the gates of hell will not come against your church. And so you are still building your church. 
you are still moving your kingdom forward. You are calling us forward. You've given us a commission to go with. You've given us the gospel to share. You've given us your good word to build us up and mature us in our faith. And so, Father, would you help us? Help us to be your church as we encourage one another in in maturity and faith, as we live out our lives of, of obedient discipleship individually and corporately, as we seek to witness for you where you've placed us throughout the week. And then as we gather together, would you help us, Father, to witness for you as a, as a body here, as a community here. God, we long for your name to be lifted high in Gilnahirk and Braniel and Tony Carnet and beyond these Belfast. And, and Father, we long for your name to be glorified. And we know, God, that your way of doing that is going to be through your church. And so would you equip us? Would you help us? Father, would you guide us? And Lord, I do thank you uh, for those who have, who have gathered with us online in this season. Uh, thank you for wherever they may be coming from and how you have gathered them. And Lord, we pray that um, if and when restrictions lift and God willing, they are able to join in again with, with a local expression of your, of your church, would you help them to find out well? And God, may we point people to those places uh, if that's helpful too. And God, we thank you Most importantly, we thank you, Father, that all of this is possible, that we can be part of your church because of the saving work of Jesus. And so we praise you for the cross. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for forgiveness of sin, which draws us into your family, your family, your body, your flock, your temple, the church. And Jesus Christ is our head. We pray that you would indeed be glorified, you would be honoured, that you would lead and guide, and that your will would be done. And your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray all these things for the glory of your great name. Amen. Amen. As we were mentioning there, the church is only possible because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. And this is evidenced by, uh, in many places, but particularly in, in Acts chapter 20. Um, when Paul is giving his farewell speech to the elders in Ephesus and he explains this in verse 28 keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of the of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood we're going to turn to consider the, the wonderful salvation of Jesus that was won for us on the cross by his death through his resurrection and ascension and as we consider the blood that made that possible, the blood of the new covenant, the blood with which he bought the church. And let's turn to consider uh, the, the wonderful song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. Let's survey the cross, let's reflect on his sacrifice for us, and then we'll turn to share communion together.
saw from Peter's confession that we want to declare that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And if you've declared that, if you've claimed, your, uh, claimed him as your Lord and your Saviour, then you're invited to join us in this meal as we share in some bread and some, and some wine or juice as we reflect on his death. And we do that because that's what he's commanded us to do. And that when we gather, we remember his death and we proclaim his death until he comes. And so we're going to share in some bread, which represents his body, which was broken for us. We share in, in some wine or a cup that represents his blood, that blood that bought the church, that blood that, that, for, uh, that bought and won our salvation and forgiveness of our sin, that welcomed us into this new covenant with God. And so we can now approach him as righteous because Christ's sinlessness was transferred to me as my sin was transferred to him as he took the wrath for the sin that was mine to pay in my place so that I would know the love of God through his wonderful salvation plan in Jesus. And so we, re we remember and we celebrate this great sacrifice. And so if you're following Jesus, then we invite you to follow uh, to, in, to be uh, involved with us here. Uh, if you haven't claimed Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then please feel free just to, uh, to reflect, maybe even look at some of the passages that we were mentioning earlier, and then we'll come back together to close our service. And so I will uh, just pray for the elements and then you'll have some time to share that. Uh, if you need a little bit more time, feel free to pause the video and just take all the reflective time you need and then come back and watch the end. So let's pray together with great thanks in our hearts. Father, we, we thank you indeed for this meal. We thank you for the, the simple elements that are so profound. Father, the, the bread that speaks to us of your body that was broken, the wine which speaks of your blood which was poured out for us. What lengths you went to, Father. To, to buy your church, to win us for you, uh, to rescue us from the wrath that we deserve to pay. 
and to welcome us into life with you in all its fullness for all eternity. And so we praise you, Father. We thank you for your wonderful salvation plan, which has welcomed us into your family, the church. And and Father, we we thank you uh, because we recognize that it is our sin for which you died. Jesus, you hung on the cross, paying the penalty that I was due to pay. And so as our atoning sacrifice, we want to give you thanks and praise. And we want to bring before you once again those things uh, that have that have come into our lives or been part of our lives this week. Those attitudes and those words, those actions, those thoughts uh, that have not been of you, that have been sinful. And so we lay them before you, knowing that you have paid the debt for us. And so we praise you and we thank you. And as we share in this meal, God, would you presence yourself with us? Would you be glorified as we remember and reflect and as we proclaim your death until you come? For it's in your name and for your glory. Amen.